Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Well, as uh, Heidi said, my name is Isaac Schaefer. Um, how are we doing this morning? Yeah, I'm, uh, uh, I'm loving this morning already. Um, but we're going to be continuing today in our uh, Truth Over Feelings series. And uh, last week, my good friend and, and mentor, uh, Doug Rumbled, he's a pastor at a, a church in Tremont, he talked about how our emotions are revealed in conflict. And how we handle conflict reveals whose glory that we are seeking, which I thought was very insightful. So Doug told us that conflict is normal. We need to expect it. Conflict is revealing. It reveals our hearts. It reveals our sinful nature and our sinful bent. And so we need to examine it. And he also said that conflict is transforming. And so we need to embrace it. We need to engage it. And uh, so if you didn't uh, or if you weren't here last week and you want to hear Doug's message, it's on the podcast. Doug also had a, a document that kind of fleshed out some of those ideas that he presented. If you want to get a hold of that document as well, you can email at uh, or info at church214.org and we can get that document to you. So we're going to continue in that series today uh, and I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Father, you are the way maker. You are the miracle worker. God, you made a way because my heart was broken. But you loved my whole heart through, not part of my heart, not just the parts that served you. You loved my heart that was burdened by sin and broken, my heart that rejected you, and you loved it all the way through. And now sin has no hold on me because your grace holds me now. God, would your grace hold us this morning? God, would your grace shine a light onto our feelings? May they be illuminated by the truth that is in your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about feelings this morning, and I know uh, some or most of the men in this room maybe got a little uncomfortable. And if your wife or the woman that you love is next to you, they may have nudged you and gave you a look like you need to listen to this. Now, I know that roles uh, could be reversed in that situation. Maybe you're uh, Chris or Jared. Um, and so maybe that happened the other way around, but we, we don't need to address that. But I think that this topic is important because the church tends to be in one of two camps on this issue. And I think that both can be damaging, and so we need to address that. So one camp would be, which I think is the most common, and, and frankly, some of us may have grown up with this being taught to us, is that all you really need to focus on on truth is because at best, feelings are misleading, but oftentimes feelings are bad or sinful. And so all you need is the truth. All you need is the truth. The only thing you need to know is the truth. Focus on the truth and our feelings, how we process them, how we deal with them is just kind of thrown to the side. And then the other camp would be the other side of that argument, which is traditionally less common, but I think becoming more trendy, would be that we need to go all in on feelings. 
and we kind of keep the truth out of it. You see, your feelings are justified. There's a reason why you have your feelings, and your feelings hold authority. And so if, you're, if the authority of your feelings is not in line with some truth, then there's play there. And so we kind of let truth fall to the wayside, which is a problem because when we are not letting God's truth shine a light on our feelings, that can also be damaging. And so we're going to try to address the tension this morning of truth and feelings, and we're going to give you some practical application that, that we can all take home. But first, we need to understand where feelings come from. And I promise you, this is not going to be a Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers explanation of our feelings, because frankly, I have no tolerance for that. <laughs> but also because the, the Bible actually has a lot to say about our feelings. And so we're going to start literally from the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Now, there's a lot of things that can be said about us being made in the image of God, but we're just going to parse out one of those things, and that's that God made us with feelings, just like him. And you might say, wait, God has feelings. Yes, God has a lot of feelings, and often they are quite intense. God feels intense love compassion, intimacy, sadness, regret, anger, jealousy, joy, contentment, even hate. And so at the root of all of our emotions is this God-image-bearing nature of our feelings. The root of every feeling that you have is by nature godly because God gave them to you. And he gave them to us because in order to experience the fullness of who he is, we have to be like him. And so he gave us feelings. God has feelings, so he gave us feelings so we could experience the fullness of who he is. The problem is that, along with everything else, our emotions were corrupted, misdirected, and twisted by the entrance of sin into the world. And Genesis 3 very clearly shows that immediately after the fall, our feelings were broken. So let's turn to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 7 through 8 says, Adam and Eve have just eaten the fruit and they have just committed the first sin that humans have ever committed. And the, and the Bible says this, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They covered themselves and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They covered themselves and they hid themselves. You see, once sin entered the world, immediately their emotions, their feelings were broken. See, up until this point, they had felt nothing but security and intimacy with each other and with God. They had only known security and intimacy. But as soon as sin entered, entered the world, it immediately twisted that security and intimacy into fear and insecurity. They were insecure, so they covered themselves. They were fearful, and so they hid themselves. See, sin took part of our godly nature, of our God-image-bearing identity, of our feelings, and, he, and sin took that and twisted it. And twisted our feelings and our emotions into something they were never, into something they were never meant to be. See, God has given us emotions, but sin has twisted them. So let's talk about one emotion as an example. Let's talk about hate. God actually commands us to develop pure and unrestrained hatred. And that may be unexpected to some of you. 
God commands us to develop pure and unrestrained hatred. Your gut reaction may be to retract from that, but the Bible is filled with examples of God's hatred. And if we're supposed to be God's image bearer in relation to our feelings, then there should also be things that we also hate. Hebrews 1.9 says of God, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. So God hates wickedness. Psalm 97 says, let those who love the Lord hate evil. Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. So it's pretty obvious that there are things that God hates and there are things that we are also commanded to hate because we are supposed to bear his image in our feelings. We have this God-given emotion of hatred. The hatred that you have in your heart is God-given. The problem is that sin has misdirected your hatred onto people and to things that you were never meant to hate. The hatred that you have in your heart is given to you by God, but it has been misdirected onto things and to people that you were never meant to hate. You see, the problem is not the feelings themselves. The problem is your sinful heart. The problem is not that you have hatred in your heart. The problem is that your sinful bent, your sinful heart is using that hatred in a way that is not godly. And so what actually produces these feelings in our heart and what role does our heart play in the production of those feelings? So I have a little equation because I'm a nerd. So so you can go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Ike. So you can go ahead and uh, throw that uh, up on the screen. So the, the text underneath of it basically explains what it is. So our feelings are the product of our thoughts and our circumstances being filtered through our hearts. Your feelings are the product of your thoughts and your circumstances being filtered through your heart. And the reason why I like this equation is because, like all equations, it's true. <laughs> yes, there are other nerds in the room. Because only nerds are going to get that joke. <laughs> Wonderful. But, so not only is it a cool nerdy thing, but I think it's very enlightening. Because oftentimes we feel like our emotions are just kind of reactionary. They're, they're automatic, right? But what is actually happening every time you have an emotion is that equation right there. Your heart is filtering your thoughts and your circumstances, and what comes out of that is a feeling. You see, sometimes you can't control your circumstances. Sometimes you can. If you choose to get drunk and go to a party and do something foolish, that one's on you. I can't help you with that. But sometimes you cannot help your circumstances. There are also times when you can't control your thoughts. See, culture is so oppressive, and also uh, oftentimes it's demonic influences in culture that are trying to put these thoughts in your head, like you're not good enough, you're not beautiful enough, you're not valuable enough, you don't have a good enough job, you don't make enough money. Those are thoughts that the enemy is putting into your head, and sometimes you cannot control those thoughts getting in. What you can control is the filter that you use. What you can control is the state of your heart. You see, your heart works a lot like a filter. And I want you to think about this. Your heart works like a filter. And what a filter does is it lets through whatever is in line with the filter and captures anything that it sees as false or unuseful. What a filter does is it lets everything through that's in line with the filter and captures something that it perceives as false or unuseful. And the emotions that come out the other side, the feelings that come out the other side, are a reflection of the filter that's being used. Doug talked about that last week. Your emotions reflect the state of your heart. 
You see, you may think that you're a slave to your emotions, but that's only because we give our emotions a lot more authority than they're actually worth. If you feel like you're ruled by your emotions this morning, that you can't control them, it's because you're giving them undue authority. I'm not disregarding your feelings. I'm just saying you don't have to give them that authority. And so this is where the truth comes into play. John 8, 31 through 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I'm sure all of us have probably heard that passage before. See, you are to abide in my word, and if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Abide means to live or dwell, or my personal favorite. Abide means to continue without fading. We need to continue without fading in our act of living, remaining, and resting in the truth of God's word. If we abide in his word, then we are his disciples. Abiding in his word is not what saves you, but it is proof that you have been changed by the one who made you and the one who loves you. But there is work that needs to be done on our part. We are supposed to abide in his word. If you thought that you could accept Jesus and coast the rest of your life, that's not how it works. There is work that needs to be done. You see, there's this tension in abiding. What abiding really is, is it's resting, right? You're planting yourself firmly. It's resting firmly in the word of God. But sometimes planting yourself, sometimes continuing without fading takes a lot of work, does it not? See, because life will try to distract you with a million different things and pull you in a million different directions. And the troubles of life will blow your way and the waves of tribulation will try to carry you away from the place where you are to abide in. Sometimes abiding takes a lot of work. Sometimes it takes a lot of discipline. But the fruit of that abiding is knowing the truth of God. And knowing the truth will set you free. You see, there are truth and there are lies. There is no in-between. And if you feel like that there's a gray area this morning, the chances are you're probably believing a lie from Satan. There are truth and there are lies. And every lie that, you, that we are believing this morning is inherently satanic. Every lie that you are believing is satanic. He is the father of lies. He, he uses his lies to steal, kill, and destroy. He would love nothing more than to lie to you and watch you destroy your life. So if he can paralyze you with fear, or bog you down with lust, or take you out with doubt, or devalue you with insecurity, then he will use those thoughts, he will use those circumstances, he will use those feelings to keep you in bondage, to hold you back from everything that God has for you. He will use those things to lead you astray. He'll lie to you about things like that extramarital relationship you're in is okay because you love each other. Love is a godly emotion. And so if you love each other, that, that's, that's, enough, that's enough of a commitment, is it not? See, lies take just enough truth to make them believable. Love is a godly emotion. But your love for him or her may not be God's covenant of marriage. 
that he has called you to. And if that lie is part of your heart filter, then the emotions and the situations that come out of that at best will not be godly and at worst will be damaging to your relationship and to yourself. How about this lie? This is one that I've believed many times in my life. You're not talented enough or you're not gifted enough. Somebody else is better at that than you, and so you should stay in your seat and keep your mouth shut and just consume because this church does not need you. If that's a lie that you are believing this morning, if that's a lie that's been in your heart like it has been in mine, I can tell you that the emotions that come out of that toward the church that you're called to serve and toward the people in that church at best will not be godly and at worst will be damaging and destructive. See, if Satan can, he will hold you back from living out everything that God has called you to live. And he will do that through his lies. But the truth will set you free. Knowing the truth, abiding in the truth, continuing without fading in the truth of God's word will have a massive impact on your heart. And if your heart, if your heart is under a constant state of renewal with the truth of God's word, imagine the impact that that has on your feelings and your emotions. If you're continuing, continuing to wash your heart with the truth of God's word, how would the filter of your heart look? And how would the emotions that come out of that look? See, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we are to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. If your heart is saturated with the truth of God's word, then it will filter your thoughts and your circumstances, make them obedient to Christ. It will capture things that are false or unuseful and make those obedient to Christ. And the emotions that come out the other side, the feelings that come out the other side will begin to reflect the heart of Christ and not a heart that's been broken by sin. We need to continually wash our heart with the truth of God's word. See, as I said, we often think that our emotions are automatic. We we respond immediately with anger when we shouldn't, because sometimes we should. There are things that God gets angry about, just like there are things that God hates. We respond immediately with anger when we shouldn't, or lust when we shouldn't, or doubt when we shouldn't. And we think that those things are automatic, but what's to say that compassion, understanding, patience, kindness, faithfulness cannot be just as automatic. If your heart is continually being washed with the truth of God's word and you are filtering all of the thoughts and circumstances in your life through a heart that's submitted to him, why can't those things be just as automatic as your anger? See, you are not a slave to your feelings. We talked about that. You give your feelings authority. You are not a slave to your feelings, but you are controlled by what grips your heart. Is your heart gripped by a lie this morning? Or is it gripped by the truth of God's word? You are a slave to what grips your heart. Again, like I said, it's not that your feelings are illegitimate. I'm not trying to disregard them in any way. I'm not saying that we should never mourn or never be angry or never be sad or never be stressed. See, even in our brokenness, God has allowed our body to feel those things so that you might run to the one who can save and redeem them. 
So your feelings are not illegitimate. The, problems is that, the problem is that we let those feelings run our lives often. We give those feelings too much authority over the truth of what God's word says and who we are called to be. You see, the enemy will take your thoughts and your feelings and your circumstances and try and get you to focus on them when you should be focused on Christ. And this is why it's so important to guard our hearts and take every thought captive to the truth of God's word and make it obedient to Christ. I can remember a specific example to my shame in my own life when I was not doing that. Uh, Holly and I, I believe Holly and I were engaged. We weren't married yet. Um, and we had just finished a, a holiday meal at, at her grandmother's house. I think it was Thanksgiving. And after the meal, everybody kind of splits up and, you know, people watch football. Some people take naps in, uh, you know, weird couches or positions. And, um, and other people play games. And so Holly and I and several of our cousins uh, went to go play Rummy Cube. Who in here knows how to play Rummy Cube? Okay, so like a fourth of the people. I do not have enough time to explain how Remy Cube works. All you need to know is that you want as few points as possible, and there are little tiles with uh, colored numbers on them. And in order to start playing the game, you have to be able to lay down 50 points. If you're a Remy Cube player and you played a 30-point rule, that's weak sauce. In order to start playing the game, you have to lay down 50 points. And if you don't have 50 points, you have to draw another tile, and then you lose your turn, and then it goes around the circle. And if you still can't play 50 points, then you draw another tile. So I'm glad you understand. So we were playing this game for quite some time, and uh, I kept drawing tile after tile after tile. And uh, I've been playing this game since I was little, and I can definitely count to 50 and I still could not make it work. And I'm pretty sure this is statistically impossible, but we had to open up a second Rummy Cube game so I could keep drawing tiles. If you've ever played Rummy Cube before, I guarantee you, you have never been in that situation because it is statistically impossible, but somehow I managed to do it. Anyway. So we open up the second game, and I'm continuing to draw tiles. In the, part of the purpose of the game is to not let other people know like, what tiles you have. At this point, I'm like, screw it. I'm not going to win anyway. My tiles are just all over the table because I don't have enough room to hide them. I just don't. And so anyway, we, we get through the game, and I draw one more tile. In the meantime, Holly goes right after me, and she has like two tiles left. Basically, everybody is almost done. And Holly knows that I have all of these points and she knows that she's really close to ending the game and sticking me with all of these points. And so Holly ends up taking like 20 minutes just to try and figure out how to get rid of these two tiles. And finally, she does it. She wins the game. And I get stuck with 214 points, <laughs> which is somewhat ironic because our church is 214. But so I get stuck with 214 points. For those of you that have never played Rummy Cube, that is more points than most people get in an entire game, let alone one round. And that cut me deep. See, we're talking about our feelings here. I mean, what happened to compassion? Wow. I was hoping to get a lot better response than that. Now, it's funny, and you laugh, which I don't like, but I'll deal with it. <laughs> but I guarantee you that if we went around the room, every single person in this room would have a story 
about how someone close to you hurt you because of ultimately something that was totally insignificant. You see, what happened in that moment was that I was filtering thoughts and circumstances from someone that I loved through a heart that was submitted to selfishness, insecurity, and pride. And Satan used that to try and he used something so innocuous as a rummy cube game to try and sow dissension between my wife and I. This went on for months, people. I'm not even kidding you. It went, you can talk to Holly afterwards. We've worked through it after a long time. But this went on for months. I, I, I'm a processor, and so all of those things went inside. I processed them. I tried to work them out under my own power and under my own time which was far too long. But Satan had deceived me. I was believing lies. I was filtering my wife's competitive nature, which I absolutely love. I honestly do. I was filtering that through a heart that was submitted to selfishness, pride, and insecurity. And as Doug talked about last week, that conflict revealed that I was seeking my own glory. I was seeking my own glory. See, don't allow Satan to take everyday frustrations and twist your feelings because ungodly feelings, feelings that are birthed out of a heart that is not submitted to the truth of God's word can be damaging to the relationships around you, people that you love the most, most likely. So what happens when we are battling with those emotions? When we're in this emotional storm, what should we do? As the great comedian John Chris says, check your heart. <laughs> we need to check our hearts. We need to check our filter. We need to do what Doug said last week and examine the conflict, understand why we're having those emotions, and engage them and submit them to the truth of God's word. We need to saturate ourselves with his truth. And so what does it mean? What does it look like to filter everything through the truth of God's word? And the best thing that I could come up with when I thought about this is, is it not to more clearly display the person of God within you? Is it not to more clearly display the fruits of the Holy Spirit that's living in you? See, Galatians 5 says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That sounds like a pretty good emotional heart filter to me. See, if we are filtering everything through a heart that's full of the fruits of the Spirit, I guarantee that your feelings will change. So you may say, Ike, I've been trying to change. I feel like I can't get anywhere. I'm stuck. Then what do we do? Take your broken feelings, as messy as they are, and your broken heart filter to the one who gave them to you. Take your heart and your feelings to God. You see, this is something that most Christians aren't very good at, including myself. We keep our feelings to ourselves. We try and work them out under our own power and our own terms. And what we do when we are doing that is we are actually shrinking God so that he's not powerful enough or big enough to handle our emotions. 
let me tell you, God's big enough to handle your emotions, no matter how messed up they are. He created them in you. I think he kind of knows how to troubleshoot what's going on. We need to take them to God. Or rather than shrinking God, sometimes we think that he's a judgmental father and he's too far off. And so we come to him with our little human problems. He'll dismiss us and be like, dude, figure it out. I gave you the Bible, which he's not wrong, but he's more compassionate than that. See, if that's something that you think this morning, that God doesn't want your emotional mess, read Psalms. Literally half of the Psalms are David lamenting to God, telling him how bad he's been hurt, how bad he's been betrayed, how much his name has been unjustly dragged through the mud. See, David understood that God wants your emotional storm. God wants you to bring it to him. If you're a parent this morning and your child comes to you and says, I'm just, I'm laboring over this, I can't get over it, do you say, no, figure it out? Or do you hold, hold them close and tell them what they need to hear with love and compassion? See, the disciples were in the middle of a storm on a lake. And in the midst of that storm, they thought they died, they, that they would die. They thought that that storm would cause them to drown and in their desperation, they cried out, Jesus, save us. And Jesus spoke. And their storm turned to calm. Don't avoid taking your emotional storm to the one person who can speak a word and turn your storm into calm. Don't avoid the person who can speak a word and change the filter of your heart, give you a different lens to see your thoughts and your circumstances through. You see, changing your filter does take work. It takes the discipline of washing your heart with the truth of his word, but it also takes the power of God working in you. Galatians 5.25 says, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. That includes our feelings and emotions. Let us follow his leading. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says, I love this, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and, every, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The Holy Spirit is a divine weapon of power to demolish strongholds. It's a divine weapon of power to take all of the thoughts and the lofty opinions that culture is trying to impose on you and make them obedient to Christ. You see, the power is not in you, but the power is in the Holy Spirit inside of you. We have a divine weapon of power to change our heart filter and make it submitted to Christ. See, changing your heart filter definitely takes work. It takes the discipline of washing it with the truth of God's word, but Galatians 5 and 2 Corinthians 10 makes it clear that you need the power of the Holy Spirit doing the work of sanctification and redemption in you. You need the, the power of the Holy Spirit to change your filter from bitterness to joy, from hardness to gentleness, from impulsiveness to self-control and patience. See, the good news is you may not have the power to transform yourself, 
but the one who does lives inside you. Yes, you need to do the work. You need to continually wash your heart with the truth of God's word, but you need the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to actually change you. All we need to do is submit to the power of the Spirit and obey his leading in our lives like Galatians 5.25 talks about. So if I was going to summarize everything, I would remind you your heart is a filter. God has given you emotions, but your heart is a filter, and so the emotions that come out of that, the feelings that come out of that, reflect the filter that's inside of you. And in order to change the filter, it takes work. It takes the discipline of washing your heart with the word of God, and it takes the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. And so we're going to get super practical now. So I have two things that I want you to take home, two pieces of homework. This week, I want you to pick one thing that you're going to work on in your heart filter. Just one. Only one. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Paul tells us in this passage that we are to approach different people going through different circumstances in different ways. But Paul says that with everybody, show patience. Now, I don't, know, I don't know why Paul wrote that. It had to be a cultural thing because here in the 21st century in the Midwest, we don't really need to work on patience, so I don't think that really applies to us, right? No, Paul knew something deep down in our hearts. We all struggle with patience. I'm by nature a pretty patient person, and daily my patience is tested, <laughs> And so if you, if you want to work on one thing this morning in your heart filter, work on patience. I guarantee you, you need more of it. But if the Holy Spirit's been trying to stir something else up in you, maybe he's really trying to stir in you kindness or faithfulness or gentleness or compassion. If that's something that the Lord is leading you to do and he's already trying to work that out of you, focus on that. If you don't have one, do patience because you need more of it, just like I do. Second piece of homework, which kind of ties into the first one. We talked about beginning to saturate yourself with the truth of God's word, diving into his word to see what God's truth is and what his promises are to us. Because if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So I want you to make a commitment this week with starting to fill your mind and your heart with the truth of God's word. So as you read your Bible and you see a truth that is speaking to you at that moment, highlight it blue or green, or pink, or whatever you want to do. And every truth that you see, highlight it the same color. So as you're turning through your Bible, you can look at the pages and say, truth, that applies to me. Truth, 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 truth. And begin to wash yourself with the truth of God's word. Or maybe you write down the references, and you just memorize those references. Heather preached an amazing message uh, back in our Rhythm series about practical ways that you can better study your Bible and more effectively study your Bible. So go back to that message and apply those things. And I promise you, you'll be blessed by it. All right, enough of the hard stuff. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to leave you with encouragement. It's like me, you are probably not perfect at taking every thought and circumstance captive. 
and submitting it to the truth of God's word and submitting it to Christ. In fact, you might be downright terrible at it. Maybe you're going through an emotional storm right now. You feel like you are drowning. But listen very close to me. That does not disqualify you or dismiss you from being used by God in a powerful way. Your emotional storm, your emotional baggage does not disqualify you or dismiss you from being used by God, from giving your life to the fight for your family, for this church, and for this city. See, God's MO is to take broken people and do glorious things through them. Why? Because he is more glorified in working through your brokenness. See, God definitely has all a power and all authority on earth, and he can snap his fingers, rain down fire on all his enemies, and redeem all of the lost, and that would be glorious. But how much more glorious is it that he looks at you with all of your brokenness, that he looks at me with all of my insecurity and my sin, and he says, I'm going to do all that through you. How much more glorious is he made that despite my inadequacy, despite my sin, despite my rejection of him and rejection of his truth, that he comes to me and says, I'm going to work out my glorious plan through you. See, God loves to take broken things and do glorious things through them. Let me put it to you this way. I'm a bow hunter. And so if I take my nice, expensive compound bow that's tuned perfectly and has a nice sight on it, and I go out into the woods and I kill a deer, some of you may be impressed. Most of you might just be like, okay, good job, bro. Good stuff. But say you handed me one of those, like, suction cup bows that you give to a four-year-old and hope that they don't kill themselves with it. But the arrow flies at a whopping, like, four feet per second and like can't even stick to anything because it's not powerful to stick the suction cup to it. Say I took one of those bows and I went Chuck Norris and I just went out and I killed a world record grizzly bear in Alaska, right? It's corny, but work with me. Pretty sure all of you would be impressed if I did that, right? Why would you be impressed? Because with an, as inadequate as the weaponry that I had, there is no conceivable way that I would be able to take on a task that imposing. So listen to me, church. When God is in the equation, your inadequacy does not disqualify you, nor does it dismiss you. You could be holding a suction cup bow and a quiver full of broken feelings, and God says, I can do a lot with that. If you submit your heart to me, if you submit your heart to my truth, if you let me work with power inside of you, I can do a lot with your suction cup bow and your quiver full of broken feelings. You see, God loves to accomplish his glory. He loves to accomplish his will through broken people. And so if all you're holding is a suction cup bow this morning, God can use you. David took a sling and he went to a brook and picked up some stones and he went to God 
And with his sling and his stones and a heart full of faith, he asked God, what would you have me do? And a giant fell that day. Come to God with your suction cup bow and a quiver full of broken feelings and a heart full of faith. Submitted to him and say, God, what would you have me do? And watch him do glorious things through you. Not only will he be made glorious, but you'll begin to experience the joy that it is to be able to work his glory out for him to bring heaven to earth. Your perfection is not required to be used by God. Just your suction cup bow and a heart full of faith and a willingness to believe what God says about you and a willingness to submit to the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Let's pray. Father, would you send your spirit into this place to illuminate our hearts to the lies that we are believing. God, to the pieces of our heart filter that are destructive. God, to the pieces of our heart filter that are capturing your truth capturing the godly emotions that you've given to us and not letting them through out into the world. God, in our reading your word this week, would you lead us to passages that address that truth, that address the lie that you've given us and that the lie that we are believing and that you would give us your truth. And God, would you give us your Holy Spirit this week to empower us, to change us from the inside out. God, would you give us, give us the confidence in our emotional storm to bring it to you. God, you are big enough to handle our storm. You are big enough to use our brokenness to work your glory in this earth. God, would you change us? Would you give us a heart filter that's submitted to your truth and empowered by your spirit? And in all things, may we live by the leading and the power of the spirit that's within us.